Hello, and welcome to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host for today, Emma Sandler, Senior Beauty and Wellness Reporter. Today, we're welcoming Annie Young Scribner, CEO of Wella Company. Wella houses iconic brands like Clairol, OPI, and GHD. Wella was spun out of Cody following a 60% buyout from private equity firm KKR in 2020. Annie, welcome to the show. Emma, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I've heard it's moving day for the Wella Company office. Is that correct? (laughs) Yes, we're moving in. There's boxes around me right now. (laughs) Well, in addition to that, I'd love if you could bring me up to speed on the last year after Wella officially split from Cody. It has been such an amazing journey. You know, we uh, started out the journey by just listening to our customers, listening to employees in a hundred different countries across the globe. And during the time, Emma, it was like the middle of COVID, not where we are today. And so the safety, the wellness of our employees was top of mind, but also thinking through how do we ensure that we're supportive of the professional beauty industry and also making sure that our innovation was really relevant to consumers. And I'm so proud of the team. We launched exciting innovation last year that really helped us accelerate growth. And I think the most exciting thing is as we separated as a standalone company, we were able to build our own culture, a culture of where people could bring their best self to work, very focused on the consumer and our customer. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I'm interested in the listening element that you mentioned at first, because in 2020 and into 2021, there was a very different environment, whether it was in person or the lack thereof, or the online chatter that was happening. Do you think that that type of social listening or customer listening differed from your experiences in other roles and, and other brands in the past? You know what, Emma, it really did because I'm a very in-person kind of leader. I like to be around people. I like to be in groups, but there was a moment in time where that was not an option. But I think what happened was leveraging Zoom, leveraging Teams, it actually equalized the playing field because I was able to reach so many people quicker and faster, um, able to tour our plants, believe it or not, virtually. Someone wore a little camera and we toured the plant. And it enabled me in a very short amount of time to have intimate small group conversation, no more than 10 people at a time. And I reached almost a thousand people. And I asked the same consistent question. If you had the Harry Potter magic wand, what's the three things you would do to improve our company? And we synthesized that. And that's what really our plan uh, was put together by listening to our customers and by listening to our employees. With respect to the synthesized results from that Harry Potter question, what were the big call outs? You know, one thing was about innovation. How do we ensure that we could be faster with our innovation? We worked on that. And I could give you a couple examples. The second piece was about global and local. You know, when you're in a thousand countries, we have six, 6,000 people. We added 1,100 people last year. 
of which we had to stand up a lot of different functions. How do we work in a new environment? And to ensure that there's a lot of respect and speed and the cultural differences move swiftly. That was the second piece. And the third was to ensure that we were investing in technology. And let me go back to the first one on innovation. Heard that. And one of the things that we did during COVID is we actually leaned in on launching innovation when people were pulling back. Not only did we launch innovation like Color Fresh Mask, which you could change the color of your hair and then washes out in eight weeks, which was so relevant during the time of COVID when you couldn't get to your salon, to Nature Strong, which is our eco-ethical nail polish. It's vegan. And uh, we launched that. Both of those were lean-ins. We also invested in technology. Uh, the GHD, which is Good Hair Day, it's less known in the U.S., but it is definitely up and coming. GHD is a verb in the U.K. where you don't style your hair, you GHD your hair. We actually invested quite a bit on technology innovation, and now over 50% of our business is through uh, e-commerce and digital to our people, investing in better communication processes, leadership capabilities for our leaders, and then really ensuring that as we built our plans, it was a combination of both global leaders and local leaders so that everything made a lot of sense. So there's clearly a lot that's going on behind the scenes, and you've been at your role for about 16 months now. Can you share a bit more about what you're focusing on right now in 2022? Absolutely. You know, again, focusing on our consumers and innovation, we recently launched a line of product and I would love for you to try it. It's called Shinefinity. It's for the pros only. And what it does is it glazes your hair with not only amazing shine, but it's so incredible on the feel. Your hair feels so soft that you could feel the shine. What that has done, Emma, it, it has driven traffic into the salon business, and it's also allowed them another revenue stream. So that has been incredibly incremental. So we've been focused on innovation. We've also been focusing on how do we ensure that we're operating in this new environment? You know that commodity prices are higher uh, energy costs are higher. So there's this whole efficiency play on how do we ensure that we could be greener, our footprint could be greener, equally, how do we become much more efficient? So that has also been a big focus. And then for me, it's all about the people. How do we ensure that we continue to invest in career growth and opportunities? I'll give you a real recent example. We had a finance leader in our London office. She had been very successful, but she wanted a, a new experience. We actually crossed her into a whole nother area. She's now leading our sales organization. So some of that cross training has been incredible on amplifying uh, development and careers. We've also been very focused on DE&I. Uh, we're a young company. We just built our affinity group. We have six affinity groups that we're really proud of. And so making sure that we create a culture where pe people could bring their best self to work. 
Could you elaborate on that last point about the affinity groups? What is that and, and what's the relationship with that and company culture? Yeah, absolutely. A big part of our culture is creating an environment where people can excel. And we have affinity groups. So for women, for LGBTQ+, for diverse ethnicity, those are some of the examples where across the globe, people could get together and talk about innovation opportunities, things that the company could do differently, things that they're really interested in. And it has been fantastic. And each of the team is led by one of our leadership team members. So I think what that's going to do is um, have us be even more cognizant of the world around us and also, also understand the needs of our consumer differently. For International Women's Day, we focused on specifically women that are breaking barriers. That was the theme. And we focused on our PhD, our scientists, jobs that are mostly held by men and highlighted uh, what they have done, not only for Wella, but for their communities. And that was great. It seems like DEI is pretty high on your list of priorities. Would that be fair to say? It is so high. It's one of the reasons why I was so interested in this role. You know, our industry supports uh, women. It's mostly women that's in the industry. In fact, 89% of the workforce is women in the beauty industry. But when you look at senior roles within beauty companies, it's mostly ran by men still. And I think that we have a significant opportunity to ensure that there's opportunities for everybody. And so I am a Chinese American. I hit the diverse checkbox and I hit the female checkbox. I never want the job because of my ethnicity or because of my gender. I always want the job because I'm the best. And that's the rule that we have is we want a diverse slate, but we will always, always hire the best candidate. And what I'm so proud is when you look at the 1,100 people that we, new positions that we created last year, 70% were women. It wasn't because we said we're only going to hire women. We had a diverse slate, 70% of those people that deserve to be hired for women. We promoted over 300 people within our organization. 60% of the promotes were women as well. So diversity of gender, diversity of ethnicity, religion, and thought and style is so critical to, I think, every company's success. And you touched upon this earlier with respect to one of the reasons why you joined Wella. But I am curious because I was reading your professional biography and you were previously at Godiva for three years as CEO. First of all, I don't know how you could leave a candy company. That sounds like absolute <laughs> heaven to me. But given that it was a lateral move to Wella, I'm, I'm also interested in what else you were interested about, about the company. Yeah, you know, there were, I would say, three key things that was particularly interesting. One, the Wella company itself, it has 140 years of amazing history founded by entrepreneurs. And I think through the acquisition by Procter & Gamble, then Cody, it was never um, able to be on its own 
and really thrive. And some of the brands had been underinvested. And I felt like, wow, what a tremendous, tremendous opportunity um, that offered. The second piece is this business supports a lot of small businesses. In fact, we have over 500,000 small businesses that we support. Some of these businesses could be one owner, one salon. Some of these salon owners, they own 3,000. So they could be pretty large in size. And small businesses have always created economic wealth for countries. And I felt like, what an incredible opportunity for us to do good through them. And then we do good. So I love small businesses. And the last one is KKR, private equity firm. I think one of the best out in the marketplace. Um, you know, they had looked at this opportunity three different times, third time's a charm. They were able to acquire it. And I felt like for those reasons, and this is a little factoid that you may not know about me, but at the age of, I think I was 13, I started to cut hair and perm hair at home. Oh, I love that. I never got, Emma, I never got paid, <laughs> but I did have returning customers. And this was the day when perms were in. I actually owned my own perm rods and I was really good at oh rolling hair. God, you really were like I, going hard on it. This was not just I was, a hobby. I was hard. I was hardcore. And one of my really good friends, her mom was a salon owner. So I was always around the business. And there is nothing more magical than being in that chair and having your hairdresser make you feel fantastic. My hairdresser, his name is Tim. I've been with him for, gosh, 15 years now. He now cuts my daughter's hair and I love going to him. He makes me happy. I could feel not so good, sit in his chair, and I walk out feeling magical. So the hairdressing industry has a superpower, and I love being around that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I feel like hair is one of the few things that can determine if you're having a good day or a bad day. And I certainly feel like a new woman whenever I come out of the stylist chair and I either have a fresh blowout or a new haircut or anything like that. I agree with you. So tell me about the professional channel and the health of that channel as it is today, given that it's been a pretty rough two or so years for them. You know, it really has been, particularly depending on which part of the world, um, it could have been completely shut down or partly shut down. And one of the things that we did is we invested in the industry, first helping them with safety, securing a safe environment for their clients. The second piece is it's a very social industry. And last year around this time, Emma, we created an event it was 100% digital. It was an education event called We Create. And what we did is we had the best hairdressers from across the globe provide lessons to the hairdressing community. And usually we charge for education. We waive the fees, 200 euros um, per session. We waived it and we gave back around 20 million euros to the entire industry as an investment. And what that did is it up-leveled the skill set, created innovation ideas that they might not have had. So when the industry reopened, things were booming. 
We also helped them with click and collect um, during when it was tougher. But now I think the industry is back. I think it's super healthy. I think that some of them are working very, very long hours now because of the demand. And in fact, when the reopen happened, there were a lot of, let's just say, corrective services <laughs> where people try to do things on their own. And it just doesn't look the same. And you understand why you are in the chair and you are paying a professional. Yes. I remember all of the stories about people driving five, six hours to go to the one place that was open just after that quarantine period so that they could get a haircut or all the poor wives and girlfriends who were cutting their boyfriends and husbands' hair and just using the old-fashioned bowl technique. I think there were uh, indeed corrective services in many different ways. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So what's the status with your other sales channels? I'm interested in terms of what's been going on sales-wise and in terms of customer growth. Yeah, we're we're so pleased with accelerated growth that we have been able to get. Very fortunate. Um, we're double-digit growth uh, above FY19, which was the high mark, which is pretty incredible. Uh, our digital channel is on fire, and our retail channel is also healthy as well. So we're pleased. And I think some of that has been in an investment in connecting with consumers. Um, if you look right now on TikTok, you'll see a huge campaign on GHD, which is our beauty tech company, Good Hair Day. And we've gone uh, pastel. So our top sellers are now pastel colors. And we launched it through TikTok, which is fantastic. So really engaging. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. We've been talking quite a bit about hair, but you also are in charge of the OPI nail brand. What's going on there? Because nails also had a bit of a boom in 2020 when everyone was incredibly bored and started to do their own manicures in quarantine. And I know people can't see your nails, but they look beautiful. Oh, thank and I you. Hope I just got them done today. I hope it's OPI. <laughs> yeah, OPI you is know it. amazing. <laughs> OPI is amazing. And if you're in New York, Big Apple Red is a huge color for us. But actually, what's interesting, what's trending on TikTok right now is two of our top colors, Funny Bunny, which is actually my favorite, and Bubble Bath. And they're mixing it. They, they teach you like two coats of Funny Bunny, one coat of Bubble Bath, and they're renaming it Funny Bath. But OPI has been fantastic. And what has been interesting is people leveraging the palette of nail beds as art. So people at home were creating their own artwork and also the just the skincare of nails as well, making sure that you're, you know, treating your cuticles right and pampering yourself. So last year we launched a product called Nature Strong. It's our vegan ethoethical line. That has done fantastic. We recently did a collaboration with Xbox, and you're probably wondering why Xbox. Xbox previous collaboration was with Gucci, and they were selling their um, 
little control and their game set for over a thousand dollars. So they decided to do a collaboration with us and it was fantastic because it was focused during International Women's Day. It was focused on women in tech. It was focused on women in gaming. They took three of our colors and created Xbox controllers utilizing OPI colors. And if you think about it, you're using a controller. What do you see? You see your nails. So now you could have your nails be blue, and we call that can't control me, with a blue controller. We also had another one that was a purple color that's called Achievement Unlocked, and the controller's uh, purple. So it was a fantastic, fantastic promotion and featured and talked about highlighting women in tech and women in gaming. Gaming is such an interesting space for the beauty world because it is in many ways a customer group where there is actually a lot of women, but it hasn't really been tapped into as much as traditional beauty spaces and communities. What's the potential for even more gaming, whether it's OPI or other Wella brands? Absolutely. I think that, you know, the the world that we live in, the physical and the digital is starting to merge. And I think that there's going to be more of that. And I think everything people are used to, um, you click and you understand how to use it, you click and you could order it. And I think this instant satisfaction is something that consumer will continue to strive for. But look, I think we're really fortunate. I feel fortunate every day. And I do my yoga practice. And the word that I use is gratitude. I have such great gratitude for the amazing people that I work with, but also the industry that I get to participate in. I get to wake up every day and be in one of the hottest industry, hair. Hair is, you know, the new skin because you hear this word skinification of hair And everybody understands through COVID, you have to take care of your hair. And it's the treatments that you provide. Just think about it. You know, if you're on Zoom, the thing that you really notice is the hair. If you're out, most of the time, some people are still masked up. You can't see the face, but what they see is the hair. It's such a identification of an individual And the freedom that you have to change your looks is incredible. Yeah, that's such an important point. There's so much, whether it's symbolism, personal importance, identity that is wrapped up in hair and especially women's hair historically. Um, It is no surprise that there's become even more emphasis on the category over the past year or two, and I'm sure that there's only going to be more. I don't know if there's anything you're keeping an eye on right now, but if there is, I'd, I'd love to hear it. Emma, it's so well said. The only thing I would add to that is the frequency of change. I think what we're going to see is people want the freedom. Hey, I want to have blue hair. I want to have purple hair. Just look at the Grammys. And I think one of the articles talked about like, the year of the blue, and it was mostly men. Right. And it's, I think it's interesting. And I also think the freedom of being yourself. So nail color, as an example, isn't just for women, 
men has the freedom to show their creativity as well. And I think some of the superstars are starting to do that, which is uh, creating a halo for people to show their true selves in many ways. And I think it's exciting. Yes. uh, We're living in perhaps the most exciting era of beauty since, I don't know, ever, I think. Um, But the hair point also reminds me of the Coco Chanel quote, when a woman gets her hair cut, she's about to change her life. (laughs) Absolutely. Now it's color, right? Because one day you could be a redhead and the next day you could be a blonde and so forth. I think that there's such variety. And I think that, you know, when you think about skincare, you think about your regiment changing depending on the weather. You might have a different routine. You know, we're in New York, so when it's super cold, you're, you're slapping on the cream a little bit more than when it's super humid out. Hey, that's the same thing for hair. And I think that consumers are now understanding that there could be different regimen depending on where you're at. I was just talking to one of my friends and she said she's going to Florida and when she goes to Florida, the environment's different. How does she keep her hair smooth? So I gave her some recommendations. But I think people are starting to be more educated on hair and it's taking the path of skin. So what happened with skincare 15 years ago, the explosion is happening with hair, hair care. And we're so excited to be a part of that journey. Now, changing gears a bit, I know that you've said before that Wella is perhaps looking to IPO in about four years. Um, I'm interested if you're able to share any more about that, if, if that timeline is still relevant, um, and your thoughts generally on sort of becoming perhaps the next uh, significant hair care company, although of course there is OPI too, um, within or on Wall Street. I think that we have a tremendous opportunity to be an incredible company. And the first thing that we're focused in on is to make sure that we have the right innovation to meet the needs of the consumer. And the reason why I say that, Emma, is because we're responsible for over 500,000 small businesses and then big big businesses too on the consumer side. So when we have the right innovation, everything is going to live. So we serve our customers. The, The second thing is making sure that we're growing in the right way. And at the end, lots of, there's going to be lots of options for us. But we see some big players and we see that our growth is faster than them or at the same rate as them. And we just want people to understand what a great company Wella is. We're smaller today. We're growing fast. And we're also growing in a profitable way. So I think that there's going to be lots of options for us in the future. Do you think hair is having a special moment on Wall Street? We've, of course, seen that Olaplex continues to drive growth quarter over quarter. There's also Mav Beauty Brands, which has a portfolio of hair care. Or do you think it really just comes down to good business strategies and execution? There's a lot of smart people on Wall Street, and I think that they are seeing the trend. What happened with skincare is happening with hair care. And I think this moment isn't just a moment. I think it's going to continue because I think as consumers better understand, they're going to trade up 
to quality, more professional products, and that's going to amplify. And I think, look, Olaplex was very smart at focusing on their patent technology as you know, a a statement to the consumer. The reality is, is I look and reflect, I think that we have a much better opportunity to tell our story, learning from Olaplex. We have a thousand patents. We have over 300 scientists. We don't talk about that. And so making sure that we're also leveraging our strength and not be afraid to highlight that. I think that it's more than just a moment. I think it's a transition. And I think the smart people of Wall Street are seeing it. They just need to see the growth potential of Wella. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of growth potential, how are you looking to continue to strengthen the Wella brands over these next few years? Uh, Two things. I think it's Focusing on, again, the needs of the consumer and where there are gaps that we accelerate. But the reality is we have amazing core products in our portfolio that in the past, the parent companies have not invested on just telling the story. And I think now that we're a standalone, we could invest in the brand and the storytelling to ensure that we're reaching the consumer. And I'm really bullish on the innovation pipeline that we have. And I can't wait for you to try our Shinefinity and some other things. Yes, Shinefinity sounds amazing, honestly. It reminds me in many ways of the expensive brunette trend that was floating around the internet a few weeks ago, which was really honing in on the shininess of one's hair, not just the actual color of it. You know, it's so interesting you say that because it's absolutely right. When you ask consumers, you know, what do they want? They want, they want the shine. And I'll tell you this interesting story. We were trying to think of a tagline for Shinefinity and the marketing team had some great ideas. And I was actually talking to someone that had been a hairdresser who works in our research department now. And I had asked her, I go, what do you think about Shinefinity? She's like, it's the easiest sell in the world. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, I would go into a salon. I would just tell them, please try it. Try it on my hair. I'll pay you to put it on my hair. And she said, right when they wash your hair in the basin, even before it's dry, they will feel the difference. And when they finish the client's hair, they're going to be so happy because not only does it feel amazing, it's so shiny. And she said, in fact, it's the shine you can feel. And I looked at her and I said, that is the tagline. That is the tagline because you feel your hair and you know that it's going to be so shiny. But if you're in New York, come over to our test salon. We'd love to have you try it out. Yes, I'm I'm sold already. (laughs) Sounds amazing. (laughs) But it's almost that skinification connection again, because it's like, People wanted glass skin, and now people want glass hair. I, I can see there being a very uh, bold through line between the two. Brilliant. It's absolutely right. And someone was talking about Shinefinity is a treatment because you could get, you know, no color and it's no damage. So you could just get the glaze. Or if you want a little bit more red or a tint, you could do that as well. Yeah, right? yeah. It's something else I wanted to talk about, which kind of goes back to 
the operations that we were speaking about earlier, Wella has said that it has four manufacturing plants worldwide. There's Mexico, Thailand, Germany, and Russia. And the Russian factory produces the Londa professional line. Can you share with us what the implication of the Russian invasion of Ukraine has been on the Russian factory and sort of situation there from the operations perspective? First of all, we want to know we feel for the people of Ukraine and we condemn the war. And we were one of the first um, companies to donate to the Red Cross and also matching all of our employees' uh, donations. We don't have an operation in the Ukraine, but we have a distributor that we stay connected with. We have a big population in Poland. And a lot of the refugees were migrating to Poland. So one of the things that we did, Emma, is we immediately gave people days off where they could contribute to helping the refugees. We have a lot of our employees, and I'm so proud of them, housing refugees in their homes uh, throughout Europe. And then we have stopped all capital investment in Russia uh, have stopped our shipment into Russia as well. But we are paying uh, for the livelihoods of our employees in Russia because they are still a part of our Wella family member. It is a very, very tough situation. So to be clear, the factory or the manufacturing plant is closed presently in Russia? The manufacturing plant is not operating at its full capacity. Um, it We are making sure that our people are okay, but we have stopped all capital investment, all capital investment, and we have stopped shipment. This is a very difficult situation because the world hasn't really confronted anything like this in terms of entangled alliances or in terms of geopolitical scenarios since maybe World War II, if not a a little bit after that. And so I wonder, when you were kind of going through the decision-making process, what was on your mind and how you're trying to strike a balance between being a for-profit business, but at the same time being a business that, as you said, condemns the activity in Ukraine? You know, I think in this situation, it is so much bigger than just looking at the profit. It's looking at right and wrong, and it's looking at the protection of your people. And that's what we focused in on. And also, how can we contribute? So I'll give you an example. There's a lot of refugees in Germany. There's a lot of refugees in Poland. We're trying to figure out, could we educate them on skill sets? in which that they could create a career. So we're thinking through nail tech, um, hair training as well. And those are some of the things that we're thinking through on what can we do as a small company to contribute and to do better. And when you said capital investment earlier with respect to the Russian manufacturing plant, what exactly does that mean? Um, what was the investment that was happening? So nothing for anything. So no... So basically, no dollars going in. Mm, okay, uh, no I wasn't sure if there was a build out no, of the manufacturing plan yeah. or really what it meant. Yeah, yeah. But it's um, I think there's been an interesting debate too. Uh, you said that you know you're still paying the Russian employees who are part of that plant, and I think there's an interesting discussion about whether or not companies should be doing that. Is it something? 
and by something I, I mean, you know, is the Russian invasion of Ukraine something that Russian citizens should also be suffering? Or is it something that they they shouldn't be? And it's a, a really interesting conversation that's starting to emerge when we're talking about sanctions and when we're talking about, you know, public or private corporate responses. Look, you know, what I have said is these are our Wella family members that have been with the company for a long time. And many, and if not all, they're also bystanders, innocent bystanders in some way that their government has decided to go do something. And to your point, it is a really heart-wrenching conversation and decisions. But what we have focused in on is to make sure that we're doing the best thing for the people of Ukraine. How can we help them in many ways, whether it's through contribution of donations or our own time? Um, Peter is our head of R&D, and his daughter went to him and said, "We, I want to open up our house and take refugees in. So they have a whole family living with them. She gave up her own bedroom. Can you imagine? It is, there's so many people doing good. And I just hope that there is a closure and it ends in a good place. Do you think this relates back to our earlier conversation about building up this company culture for Wella and and sort of how to do that? You know, We absolutely want to make sure that we do good, not only for the company, for the employees, um, creating this culture where you could bring your best self to work, but also the impact that we can make in the communities in which we operate. And I think that, you know, whether it's looking at water tables, if you think about water tables or going down across the globe, we think about hey, can we make shampoos that are more concentrated? And then can we ensure that we're making shampoos and conditioners that actually use less water for rinse off? Because that's where most of the water is being consumed. We're thinking about lightweighting plastic. We're thinking about solar energy. We're looking at the net impact of our CO2 to make sure that we leave the earth a better place. So absolutely, I think as an individual, as a company, the halo that you can have is so much bigger and make that halo a good halo. Yeah, absolutely. Annie, tell me, because you've been at this role for about 16 months, I would love to hear the biggest takeaways or the biggest learning lessons that you have had while overseeing Wella. Gosh, that's such a great question. I think, you know, the number one thing is I'm a people person and I have really enjoyed learning and talking to people and the hair routines are so different across different parts of the world. You know, in some parts you're washing your hair every day, other parts you're not. (laughs) And so the people piece has been so fantastic and to understand the ownership and the importance of small businesses amplify seeing it, you know, live. You have a front row seat to see that has been great. Uh, 
And then I think just underscoring, there's so much that this company has already, but it hasn't been highlighted in the right way. And we're doing that now. And I think I have an incredible, talented group of leaders around me. I feel so fortunate every day to get up and to be surrounded by happy, lovely people that want to make an impact. Annie, thank you so much for joining us today on the Glossy Beauty Podcast. It's been an immense pleasure to have you on. Emma, it has been incredible to spend time with you. Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. See you next week.